and welcome to Scream Scene, the horror movie podcast where we watch every horror movie ever made in chronological order, and then we rank them from best to worst. My name's Ben. And I'm Sarah. Thank you so much for listening to us today. How are you doing today, Sarah? Doing all right. We saw Dune last night. Yes. So just been thinking about worms a lot. Just been thinking about Dune a lot. Worms. But yes, the dunes that they swim through. (laughs) been listening to the soundtrack today oh nice yeah it's a good soundtrack yeah it was a good movie good movie how are you ben i'm doing all right good things are getting busy for you at work as you ramp up for this japanese theater series of films yes so for the calgary cinematheque um our next series of screenings from november 18th to february 3rd is themed around Japanese theater. So it's films that either adapt like Japanese plays or use elements of Japanese theatrical traditions um, in them. So we are starting, for instance, with Akira Kurosawa's Throne of Blood from 1957, which is famously an adaptation of Macbeth transposed to feudal Japan, which incorporates like elements of like no theater into Mm -hmm. its mise-en-scene and and everything like that and so all the features that we're showing have elements of no um kabuki or bunraku and uh i'm really excited for all of them they all look super dope um Mm -hmm. there isn't like a loser in the bunch so i'm really excited so it's all japanese all the time for you right now yes because tonight's film is a japanese film we are watching kaiden kasane gafuchi from 1957 that means the ghost story of kasane swamp and is directed by nobuo nakagawa so given the fact that ghost story is in the title this will be much more likely to be horror than last week's film from nakagawa yes um last week we also had issues with subtitles do we anticipate similar issues with this one should be better okay this time around should be better the english is still google translated but it's translated from like provided japanese subtitle text oh okay so it's not just having to like listen and guess it can just translate the words exactly yeah so we're not getting like so much of an on the fly thing um as last time this film came about uh in 1957 as nobuo nakagawa moved from big studio toho to their competitor, Shintoho. Literally new Toho, right? That's right. Which both of those were two of the six major studios in the golden age of Japanese cinema. The other ones were Daie, Nikatsu, Shochiku, and Toei. As you might kind of guess from the name, um, Shintoho had been founded in 1947 by Toho defectors following a failed strike. By the late 1950s, um, films in like the horror, supernatural, fantasy, sci-fi mold were filling Japanese theaters, whether they were domestic products or imports from overseas. So you had like the sci-fi kaiju films coming out of Toho from Ishiro Honda 
and you also had like the hammer horror films were huge in Japan. Mm -hmm. Um, so Shintoho decided to compete in this market by producing a large number of such films. Um, they did like kind of a sci-fi superhero series called Starman, um, lots of kind of these sorts of things. And they brought over Nakagawa to direct a series of horror films primarily based on traditional Japanese ghost stories, starting with this one. Mm-hmm. So you, you set up that this is adapting a traditional ghost story. That being said, there's not a lot I could find about the author... I'll put author in quotation marks and the story itself. What I do know is that the story comes from the mind of a man named Sanyote Encho, who was born as Jivokichi Itsubuchi. He was born in 1839. And now the reason why I have like author in quotation marks is because he was an oral storyteller. He didn't like write and publish other people did that of his stories oh okay yeah so um he's definitely the creator but uh author i feel like implies that he wrote them down Hmm. so he followed in the steps of his father who was known as tachibanaya entaro um who was also an oral storyteller this tradition of oral storytelling is called rakugo in japan Um, which I had never heard of. So this was really interesting to me to learn about. Um, Someone who is an oral storyteller is called a rakugoka. Okay. And when you are, for lack of a better word, performing your story, um, you're up on a stage, you sit on basically a stand called a koza, and you have a fan and um, some pieces of cloth as your only props. And you sit there and you tell the story, It tends to be either monologues or like you're narrating the story, but you're the only person speaking. It's not like other people come on to voice different things. Sure. Some people kind of compared it to like a stand-up comedian, but I feel like that's not quite exactly the same, both because someone's sitting down, but also there were many different genres um, from comedy to drama, ghost stories, etc. Got it. Itsubuchi followed in the Rakugo steps of his father, Tachibanaya Entaro, because you have to apprentice in order to become a Rakugoka. After apprenticing, Itsubuchi earned his stage name, Sanyute Ensho, which is what he's known as. Got it. Ensho showed a lot of talent in every genre, um, excelling from comedy, drama, ghost stories, and after the post-Meiji restoration, um, he also excelled at translating foreign tales as well. Interesting. Okay. Again, all in this Rakugo practice. He became friends with this man named Takusari Koki, um, and together they worked on bringing like vernacular working-class Edo speech to the stage and using that to replace classical Japanese. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah, part of the um, Genbun Ichi movement. So as part of that, Ensho would narrate and monologue in vernacular. And then Takusari's students would either be backstage or in the audience transcribing what the performance was. And then that's what would get published. 
And uh, this was to Encho's knowledge, like he knew they were doing this. This helped spread his popularity, uh, helped spread these stories to be adapted into kabuki plays, um, into film. So because of a lot of his stuff is oral um, and then gets solidified into adaptations, which of course can put their own spin on things, it's very difficult to nail down what exactly he created. Mm. Um, also with oral storytelling, you tend to also proliferate like other stories. Um, authorship isn't as nailed down. Um, so what I could determine is that um, besides this story, Ensho is most well known for Kaiden Botandoru, uh, which is um, the peony lantern ghost story. Um, also could be translated as the inn at Kuriho. Ensho would pass away in 1900 at 61 years old. From what I could tell, this story of his that is adapted into this film was first performed in 1888, so that would be only two years before his death. And what is interesting is this title that I found is Shinkei Kasane Gafuchi, which is the true view at Kasane Swamp. And I think that's interesting because the last Yatsua Kaiden adaptation we saw put a lot of emphasis on like, well, who's telling the truth? Mm. And so this is like, well, this is really what happened at Kasane Swamp. Uh, unrelated to Yatsua Kaiden, but I just think it's interesting. For sure. Again, because it's an oral story, I couldn't find any specifics on what the original version looked like. So the ghost story of Kasane Swamp shares, in this movie version at least, a lot of similarities with the ghost story of Yatsuya. And this film version of it, Nakagawa's film version of it, is often considered something of a practice run for his later highly acclaimed version of Yatsuya Kaiden, which used much of the same cast and crew as this movie. So that film, Tokaido Yatsuya Kaiden, came out in 1959. Um, Shintoho would also later remake this movie in 1960 in like widescreen with a different director. And then that director would remake this movie again in, I want to say, 1971 in color. Okay. So like Yatsuya Kaiden, this is a story that's like been adapted to film a few different times. Mm -hmm. Actor Tetsuro Tanba plays the role of Omura, and he would go on to be familiar to Western audiences for his roles in films like Three Outlaw Samurai in 1964, Kaiden in 1964, as Japanese intelligence chief tiger tanaka in you only live twice in 1967 <laughs> in prophecies of nostradamus in 1974 the story of ricky in 1991 and as the voice of the cat king in the cat returns in 2002 the film's score is by michiaki watanabe who would go on to score nakagawa's other horror films including Tokaido Yatsuya Kaiden and Jigoku in 1960, as well as later scoring several tokusatsu television series, such as Mazinger Z, Himitsu Sentai Gorenger, Supaidaman, and many later Sentai shows. Kaiden Kasane Gafuchi, also known as The Depths in English, was released on July 10th, 1957 on a double bill with Kaiden Honjo Nanafushigi, 
the ghost story of the seven wonders at Hanjo from director Goro Kataro. Neither film received an English dub, but Kaiden Kasani Gafuchi has received like English subtitled releases as the depths, whereas um, Ghost Story of the Seven Wonders at Hanjo, aka Seven Mysteries, as best as I could tell, has like never gotten any kind of English language release. Okay. Will we be watching that movie? I couldn't find a copy of it anywhere that was like available for us to watch. So we're going to be skipping that one. Um, But this movie I did find a copy of on YouTube that I've put onto our YouTube playlist. Okay. Well, folks, hopefully you can watch along. You're going to hear a brief musical interlude. And when we come back, we will discuss Kaiden Kasane Gafuchi from 1957, directed by Nobuo Nakagawa. See you on the other side, everybody. Welcome back to Scream Scene, everyone. We just finished watching Kaiden Kasane Gafuchi from 1957, directed by Nobuo Nakagawa. Ben, what did you think? This was a lot of fun. It was really good. Yeah, nice little watch. And the subtitles worked out for us, so we could actually, like, follow what was going on. Yeah, they, um... Also, like, a less complicated plot than uh, Nakagawa's last movie. For sure, for sure. There's, like, some spots where the subtitles are, like... A little rough. Yeah, they got no. confused about pronouns. Yeah, pronouns were something that confused it a lot, but like for the most part, it was completely understandable. Yeah, it yeah. was great. Yeah, I really enjoyed this. Uh, Japanese ghosts, man. <laughs> They're going to fuck you up. So let's talk about the plot line. Yes. It is semi convoluted. Not really. It's more complicated than the simplest version of Yatsuya Kaiden we've seen, but not nearly as complicated as the most complicated version of Yatsuya Kaiden we've seen. (laughs) When we start, it is 1773, and we see that there is a blind masseuse named Sotetsu who uh, is leaving home. He's leaving his daughter, Ruri, to go see... um, a nearby samurai whose name is Fukami, um, because Fukami owes Sotetsu money, and he's coming calling. Now, once he's there, Fukami refuses and brutally murders Sotetsu, <laughs> like to the point where it was a little comical because he just won't die. Yeah, he takes a long time to die. Yeah, but it is like meant to be brutal. Um, and Fukami has his servant Kanzo dispose of the body in the nearby Kasane swamp. Now, Kanzo does as he's told, but tells the body of Sotetsu, like, hey, please don't haunt me. Like, I've, I'm told by my master to deliver you here. Here is a scythe to help fight demons in the afterlife. Um, and remember, this is Kanzo giving this to you, so don't be mad at me. <laughs> And then pushes the box into the swamp. Now, Fukami begins to be haunted by Sutetsu's ghost. Um, Fukami's kind of a dick, mm. so he deserves this. Yeah, I mean, he killed a blind man because... He refused to give him money that he owed him. Right, exactly. 
like even like half like yeah and it's like where else is this guy going to get money right like and, it's and, slow and, season for the masseuse business well uh, yeah and it's like ostensibly he killed him because he didn't ask politely enough basically yeah. like how dare you talk to a samurai like that so yeah he's a dick yeah and in the fashion of japanese hauntings that we've seen before so tetsu's ghost appears to fukami and he'll slash at it with his sword and oops it's your wife <laughs> that you just killed um and his wife has a good line that says like beware the curse of the dead or something like that now fukami is scared and angry and he runs to where he knows Tetsu's body to be so he runs towards Kasami's Kasane swamp and is waving his sword at the floating head above him and then like gets sucked into the swamp water and is dead in the midst of all this tragedy Kanzo takes Fukami's son who is like a baby to Edo to be raised by a family who owes uh, the Fukami family a favor because um, Kanzo's like I'm an old man I can't raise you 20 years later we see that the son goes by the name Shinkichi, and he is uh, a servant to the family, to the household, and specifically the family's daughter, Ohisa. They try to play it off, but they have a crush on each other, um, which is only going to end in tragedy because he's a servant. Um, they do know he's a son of a samurai, but he's still like lower class than she is, and she has been betrothed to the richest family in Edo. But it's kind of like an open secret that they have a crush on each other, uh, much to the displeasure of Ohisa's betrothed, Seitaro. Now, Ohisa is receiving shamisen lessons, which is um, kind of that Japanese guitar that has a very long neck and has that traditional sound. So Shinkichi will escort her to her lessons. And we see that Ruri, Sotetsu's daughter, has grown up to be this teacher. And because Shinkichi you know, stays during the lessons when he really doesn't have to. Um, he catches the displeasure of Samurai Omura, who believes that Shinkichi wants to get with Oruri when Omura wants to get with Oruri. So one night, Omura is basically about to force himself on Oruri when Shinkichi arrives late at night to pick up music that uh, had been forgotten that, that day. Now, this is lucky for Ruri because it means that it interrupts what Omura is up to. Um, and in a way that is unclear whether she always had this crush or if she's just hoping that Shinkichi will stay because she's in danger, Ruri confesses her love to Shinkichi and he ends up staying the night. Um, now, this is a bit scandalous when he returns to his work in the household the next day so he's let go he goes out on the street and Aruri eventually invites Shinkichi to come live with her as husband and wife now again it's like clear that like they've had sex and it, it's clear that like there is like I guess you could say like affection but it's unclear if it's like true love mm. and especially on Aruri's part you're kind of left wondering, like, is she just wanting him here because Omura's, like, stalking outside? Or does she really care for him? Yeah, and it's sort of unclear, like, Shinkichi's part as well, because there's Oruri, and then there's Ohisa, and, like, which one do you like? Mm -hmm. Now, Oruri has her old servant, Otetsu, who raised her and 
knows of Shinkichi's connection to Fukami, who killed her father. And so Otetsu tries to like go to Orori and be like, hey, I don't think you should be with this guy. I think you should kick him out. And Orori's like, no, I'm not going to hear this. Like, I don't want to hear this. She goes to grab some clothes for Shinkichi and an object falls from on top of the dresser and hits her face. This object is a bachi, which is basically like a very big pick for her shamisen guitar. Um, but it falls in such a way that it's clearly gashed her face. Yeah, these things are made of like ivory or tortoiseshell. So they're like heavy, significant things. Yeah. And in order to pick, like it has to be very sharp. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she so she's hurt. And uh, because, you know, she's now very vulnerable, it's also on her face. And the doctor's like, yeah, it, it'll be fine. <laughs> she's feeling very, very vulnerable and um, insecure. Omura, the samurai, uses this opportunity to push Ohisa and Shinkichi together because he wants Shinkichi out of the way, slash to also punish Aruri for his rejection. Aruri finds out that Shinkichi and Ohisa are basically planning to elope. At one time, she catches them and grabs a knife and does try to murder Ohisa, but eventually they manage to get away to elope. Now, Omura comes to Aruri to, like, kind of rub salt in the wound, like, it's because your face is awful. Aruri tries to find a mirror to confirm this, and she manages to get to a pool of water, pulls the cold compress off of her face, and she basically looks like Oiwa in Yatsuwa Kaiden. Yeah, it's on the opposite side of her face, but like it's otherwise kind of exactly the same thing. Yeah. And Otetsu comes in and she's like, oh, it's because of the like anger of your father and your father's spirit uh, causing this wound to fester. Um, and she finally is able to tell Ruri that, hey, Shinkichi is the son of Fukami, who murdered your father. As soon as she learns this, Oruri collapses and dies. I think, if memory serves, she bumps into something else and something else falls and clunks her on the head. Yeah, that's fair. But so she, she, just, she dies. Yeah. That's the, the Very accident prone, our Oruri here. She doesn't have any more depth perception, Ben. <laughs> Come on. Now we cut to Shinkichi, who is out picking up Uri's shamisen uh, from like the local shop. And as soon as we see that Uri dies, a string on the guitar snaps. And they're like, that's strange. These aren't even tight. And then they look and Uri is standing outside and they're like, oh, like, why, why are you up? Like, you're sick. So they call a palanquin and they get her all set up to go inside. When suddenly Otetsu runs to Shinkichi saying like, Oruri's dead. And he's like, no, she, she's right here in this palanquin. They open up the curtain and she's not there, but in the place is the bachi. So spooky shit. Of course, with Oruri dead, this now means that Shinkichi isn't like stuck here. He goes and he meets Ohisa. And um, some more spooky stuff happens, but they make their way. They are basically eloping to um, the village where he was born. To get there, they have to pass through Kasane Swamp. Now, it's by Kasane Swamp that Ohisa is like, I can't walk anymore. Shinkichi offers to carry her. And then we see the haunting kind of get worse with Ori 
taking the place of Ohisa. Um, and again, he freaks out and like dumps her. Uh, he gets like hit in the shin by a scythe and then like uses that scythe to defend himself from Overy. And yeah, then... he just finds this scythe on the ground by the swamp. Huh. Huh. <laughs> but ends up killing Ohisa and she falls into the swamp. This is like the standard Japanese ghost maneuver, it seems. Like, make you think you're seeing ghost. You attack with sword or other sharp object. Turns out, oops, you killed your girlfriend or whatever. Like, <laughs> Shinkichi turns around after killing Ohisa and sees Omura, the samurai, standing there. And he's like, yeah, man, uh, I was paid 50 gold coins to come and kill you and bring her back. So I'm here to kill you. Um, and he makes quick work of Shinkichi, who falls into the swamp when he's dead. Just like all the rest. Just like all the rest. Just bodies <laughs> in the swamp. Then he goes to leave, and we see a ghostly hand rise up from the water and grab his leg. Oruri is now haunting Omura, because she knows. This is all your fault, Omura. Mm-hmm. Well, not all, all, but like a major part of what's happening right <laughs> now is your fault. Um, so we get some really good haunting scenes of like him like trying to swipe at her and she's suddenly not there and he ends up accidentally impaling himself on like some chopped wood he runs into the swamp waters waving his sword at Ori's face and then out of nowhere fucking so tetsu the like her dead father rises from the water grabs onto the samurai and drags him down into the depths the next thing we see are the servants Kanzo and Otetsu praying for the young souls of Oruri, Ohisa, and Shinkichi to go to Buddha and go to heaven. The end. Yeah, so you can see somewhat in the plot, but a lot in the visuals. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of similarities between this and Yatsia Kaiden. Um, I guess if you're going to do a performance of like a stage play adaptation of Kaiden Kasane Gafuchi. You are not supposed to do it on like a consecutive day from doing a performance of Yatsuya Kaiden because Oiwa and Urui are considered to be like mirror images of each other. And if you put them in close proximity, like each ghost is going to gain like too much power. Oh, neat. I like that. I like the idea of that. That the fear of like performing this is also invoking those spirits. Mm-hmm. Well, if you remember from our Yatsia Kaiden research, like people who perform the play have to like go to Oiwa's grave and like make offerings and stuff. Yeah, um, this is really good. Um, I was a little bit worried a- about pacing mm-hmm. after Satetsu dies and we get this like melodramatic like shinkichi is wanted by two women who's he going to choose yeah the first act and the third act are like some pretty solid ghost story shit but the 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 second act is very soap opera melodrama and yeah i had i had the same worry of like but we're getting back to the ghost stuff right yeah well especially because the first act was so strong Mm -hmm. and usually when we've seen that in american movies it's because the rest of the movie is not good yeah, we're we're a little um like there's nothing wrong with the second act of this movie like having this soap opera thing. It's just that I think we're a little like wary of bait and switch movies on this show. Yeah. 
But they really hit the spot and like the chill creep itch that I usually get with ghost stories. Yeah, lots of good cinematography here Mm -hmm. um, that really contribute like the cinematography and the editing work together really well to give some really good like ghost reveals, like where, you know, the camera moves and it turns out the ghost is right there or like we cut and the ghost's way off in the background somewhere or whatever. Right. Like there's a lot of really good stuff. And the cinematography you know, the use of light and shadow to like reveal or hide a ghost kind of thing. Like whenever Arui's showing up in the swamp, she's like underlit, but not from like any light source that could possibly be in the scene. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. It's really fun. I can always tell when I'm really enjoying a horror movie when I start like laughing because I'm enjoying myself so much. Mm. Going like, oh shit, she's over there now. <laughs> right. They don't... um skimp on the blood in this movie no they don't like every time someone gets hit by a sword they are sure to show us like a big bloody gash through them i was curious if you knew of movies around 1957 that are like samurai movies where you're you know you have samurai fighting Mm -hmm. and if they typically have that much blood or if that's something they're leaning into because this is a horror movie they're leaning into it because it's a horror movie it often like wasn't economical to have like a lot of like blood and gashes. Like seals see like a bunch of like Zatoichi movies or whatever, where he like slashes a bunch of dudes and they just kind of like fall over. Right. Unless they want to make like a big special effects moment Mm -hmm. of it. Um, The earliest samurai movies I can really think of that start to have like a bunch of blood in them is like, Yojimbo, and then like really famously Sanjuro, which invented the high pressure blood spurt. Yeah. Right. But those are not. Those are in the future from here. Yeah. 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 And speaking of like the blood, the makeup was Mm. really well done. Um, Even for Sotetsu when he's he's alive and like he's blind because he has like the walking stick and you see that his eyes are closed but on a couple close-ups it looks like the character had his uh, eyelids sewn shut Mm. so i'm not sure what kind of makeup they would have done for that but they went to that level you know it wasn't just yeah keep your eyes closed yeah the the makeup's pretty top-notch throughout i think urui's makeup is okay i think we've seen versions of oiwa that have been better Mm mm-hmm And like, while there is this supernatural explanation for her disfigurement and like, yes, having a bocce fall on you would be bad news. She swells up and then like her eye has like drooped down the side of her face. Like she looks like a Picasso painting, like her one eye on one (laughs) side is like, you know, level with her cheek on the other side of her face. And so she's got this like big fake eye and it doesn't look terrible like it it looks fine for like a movie from 1957 like it's all good but i did watching the movie have this thought of like um (laughs) how how did you take such poor care of yourself after this accident that this injury flared up this much well like i said uh there's the explanation that it's your father's spirit anger Mm -hmm. um we have the metatextual explanation of her being that mirror image to oiwa Mm -hmm. and i think also on some level for the makeup department when sotetsu is haunting fukami he has 
like an eye drooping as well, which is really interesting because he gets slashed on the face at one point. And so the idea of her eye drooping almost mirrors the damage that her father experienced as well. That's an interesting way of looking at it. I hadn't really thought of it that way. To be fair, I often have like, like as much as the whole point of Oiwa is that she needs to look like, you know, two-face level hideous. I often have like similar thoughts because like, it's like, oh yeah, some like poison ointment got on her face or whatever, you know, like hot water. Right. And like, sometimes they go to more effort to like justify it. Like they'll pile injuries onto Oiwa. So there's like more going on, (laughs) but it is sometimes like, okay, listen guys. (laughs) I will say that I kind of wish that Satetsu had been like more rotting when he arises Mm. out of the water there. Cause he just looks like the dude. But you know, the whole deal with swamps is that they preserve bodies really, really well. Yeah, but he should have had like kelp on him or mm. whatever reeds, I guess. Okay. I don't think kelp is in swamp. But like, y- you know, just like something a little bit more. Because the way it looks is like this was shot on the same day as his like swamp disposal day. Sure. You know? <laughs> the movie's not very long. It's no. like less than an hour. And... That helps it in some ways in terms of like the second act melodrama stuff, because you kind of have to forgive the plot requiring everyone to react to everything that happens in like the most over the top way possible. You can only sustain that for so long. Yeah, it's it's slightly ridiculous as is, right? Because like Shinkichi is Ohisa's servant. So he follows her around everywhere because that's what a servant does. And then Ohisa's mom's like, following her around again, huh? Everyone knows you just want to fuck her. And he's like, no, not at all. And then like he goes over to Orui's house to like drop off some music or no, pick up the music. And people are like, oh, going over to Orui's house, I see. You must be fucking her. And he's like, no, I- I'm not. And then like he is with... Orui as she's like convalescing uh Ohisa comes to visit because like she's Orui's student and she's like oh I hope you're feeling better and Orui like lying there is like oh Shinkichi you're like in the same room as Ohisa you two must be fucking I bet you wouldn't care if I died and it's just like everybody's like a little extra everybody's a bit much in this movie And they need that because, like, certain misunderstandings and intensities of emotion need to, like, drive the plot along. But, yeah, it's it's just like, wow. (laughs) It is a lot. But like you said, the short run time means that we don't have to dwell on it. Because I feel like if they were told by Shinto Ho, like, no, this needs to be an hour and a half, um, they would expand the middle part. Yeah, absolutely. Because that makes, like, the the logical sense because you want to bookend with, like, really intense scares. Yeah. I guess what I'm sort of drawing a comparison to is the 1949 two-part version of Yatsuya Kaiden that we saw, which, mm-hmm. like, to be fair, is two parts. But that movie went to, like a lot of work to give all of the characters like a really believable psychology. And this movie does not, this movie I think is much more in like a more theatrical, you know, ghost story kind of tradition. I mean, even the, the ending here, 
like calling this a ghost story feels very very apt not just because it's a story with a ghost in it but like it's a story with several ghosts yes um but the way the movie ends with the kind of like oh the ghost's over here now it's over here oh you fell into the swamp like feels very much like the kind of story that someone would you know tell at i mean i was about to say like over a campfire but i guess like on a stage sitting down yeah. with a fan and a scarf a piece of cloth but piece, yes oh sure <laughs> what is a scarf if not a piece of cloth um but yeah like it feels like the kind of ghost story that you would tell someone yeah yeah i really enjoyed this i think the acting was all very well done um especially rory because you have to like have a lot of intensity especially when her face is covered and she manages to bring it bit of intensity to her one-eyed stare yeah you have to also take her from being like sweet and likable and attractive to being this like dark vengeful sort of ghost Mm -hmm. um like oiwa as a comparison like oiwa starts off kind of pathetic and just goes downhill from there or ruri has to start off like yeah like charming and likable so there's sort of a greater contrast there Absolutely. To kind of compare with Oiwa again, I mean, I hope we're not making the spirits too powerful by, Mm. you know, directly comparing them like this. But Oiwa haunts the people who are responsible for her death. Whereas in Kaiden Kasane Gafuchi, I just feel like ghosts are just going to fuck you up and everyone is going to end up being collateral damage as well. Yeah, like the ghosts are really far reaching here. Like... So Tetsu's like, yeah, I'm going to haunt the guy who killed me. And I'm also going to like send that energy through my daughter so that when she dies, she will haunt her like shitty deadbeat cheating husband, his like shitty cheating noble girlfriend and the samurai who fucked us all over. Then I'm going to come out of the swamp and kill that samurai. Like, you know, it's like, (laughs) yeah, there's a lot of. There's a lot of sense of like a kind of cycle of violence here mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, your dad killed my dad and haunted my dad. So now I'm going to haunt you after you're responsible for my death. Kind of like stuff going on here, like this multi-generational thing. Yeah. And I feel like Ori's first step towards the downfall is refusing to hear the history. Mm. Right. She's like, no, Tetsu, I don't want to hear any of this. And like, I don't think that there's a moral to the story of like, oh, if only she had eaten her vegetables, then like none right. of this would have happened. Like if only she had like learned from this, the mistakes of the past or something. Yeah. Because the thing about a lot of Japanese horror stories and ghost stories in particular is like they just happen to people. It doesn't right. matter if you're like you're good, you're bad, like it's it's a lot of it is like really grim shit just happening to people yeah yeah um like there's that one ghost story where like a chick is wailing and because she needs to count up to like 27 plates and she's like searching the well mm -hmm. and if you hear her calling you have to call out like the remaining numbers that she needs to get to otherwise she's going to kill you right and it's like you just just had the misfortune exactly um of being there yeah no pretty much i think the only like running theme honestly in a lot of japanese ghost stories is like you need to have respect for the dead yeah is probably like the biggest one but yeah like like a lot of these stories don't really have as you say like a moral to them 
And a lot of them also like aren't really about plot twists either. You know what I mean? Like it's like these are dooms that you see coming a mile off. Mm-hmm. Right. So we keep comparing this to Yatsia Kaiden. Do we want to compare it to some other movies as well and rank it on the list? Absolutely. So to start off, I think the two-part 1949 Yatsia Kaiden directed by Keisuke Kinoshita is a better movie than this. But it's also not on the list. We decided that it was like way more like psychological thriller melodrama than horror and it didn't make it onto our list um good movie though there is a version of yatsia kaiden on our list it's the 1956 version um directed by masako mori and that version is like a very you ticked the boxes you colored in the lines version yatsia kaiden right exactly and because of that it really didn't impress us much Yeah, it's ranked at number 123. So immediately I was like, yeah, this is better than that. Mm -hmm. But how much better? (laughs) So our top rated Japanese horror film is A Page of Madness, which is up at number 30. That's too high. This isn't that good. Ah, Like this is is fun, but this feels like middle of the road to me a bit like this is good you are you are doing your job yeah this is good but like it doesn't feel like you know top 30 right like a special classic of the ages yeah so i was looking around like okay what other fucking japanese horror movies we got on this list well the next one on the list that comes to mind is jujin yukio toko right uh, because that's the other like most recent Japanese horror movie from 1955, it's ranked at number 73. Yeah. And that was a bit low to me for this. So I started looking from there. Okay. I started at 73 and started looking up. And the first movie where I was like, oh yeah, this is maybe better is Freaks, which is at 64. So I made my floor number 65 uh, below Freaks above The Devil Commands. And then I sort of kept looking up from there because like, son of dracula the leopard man like there's some like okay movies in here but not like 100 percenters and you know we have blood of dracula and i was a teenage frankenstein like up at 54 and 55 and those movies are fine i think this movie might be better like especially when i think of i was a teenage frankenstein so my eyes kept going up and i landed on dementia at 52 and i think dementia's better than this film. I think Dementia's more special. It's got like more going on. Um, people talk about this movie being like Nakagawa's like dress rehearsal for Yatsia Kaiden. And that's not quite true because he has a couple horror movies in between. But I did see what they mean in the sense of this movie feels like, oh, the person making this like could do something really good. Like this is good, but like there's a potential here for better. Yeah. Um, So my range was 53 to 65, below Dementia or below Freaks. Well, my range fits within yours. Oh, interesting. I had the same beginnings, (laughs) I guess. I came to the list in the same process that you did of Mm -hmm. looking at Yatsuo Kaiden, then up at Jujin Yukio Toko, etc. 
So I was just really lost about how to rank this movie. So I started looking at other films we've had in 1957. There's been a lot. There's been a lot. And I thought that that would be a good kind of way to, you know, sift the wheat from the chaff. And my eyes fell upon The Abominable Snowman at number 53. So that's from 1957. It has Peter Cushing. And it really manages its tension really, really well. Even as it kind of cuts back and forth to like the crew up top and then like the wife back at the village. I think that movie is also like not long. And so I thought that, you know, Abominable Snowman manages to maintain this tension through even the like potentially melodramatic happenings of uh, Peter Cushing realizing that his old friend is actually terrible. Right. Um, It doesn't have the same kind of long middle section where you're wondering if this is a horror movie after all. Yeah. So I made that my ceiling. 53. And then looking down, I stopped at Blood of Dracula at number 55. And the reason I did that is because, um, so Blood of Dracula is where like the chick is at the all girls school and turns into Dracula, um, because of a mad scientist. And as much as like that sounds super bonkers, a lot of it was very like, I knew when stuff was going to happen because it was very textbook. Point A to point B to point C. Um, Kaiden Kasane Gafuchi, I knew what was going to happen. I was like, yeah, he's a boy, she's a girl. They're going to end up ha- falling in love. And then the dad ghost is going to get mad. And like, it obviously went in a slightly different direction, but the main plot points were still there. It couldn't be any more obvious. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, well, they're both like, you know, hitting the plot points that we know it's going to hit. Blood of Dracula was a bit more tired. Mm. with it you know had some like new energy but it like yeah it was the third time we'd seen the same plot from the same filmmakers yeah yeah and it had some like new elements but yeah so i felt that kaiden kasane gafuchi could go above that so my range is 53 to 55 okay i think kaiden kasane gafuchi is better than i was a teenage frankenstein as much as we liked that i was a teenage frankenstein really tapped into the bad dad themes of Shelley's original novel by, you know, having a teenage monster and letting the monster talk and all of these sorts of things. That movie's ultimately kind of a big letdown, especially in the ending. Yeah. Um, it's just not as good as you want it to be. And I think the thing about the potential thing that I identify in this movie, Kaiden Kasane Gafuchi is exactly as good as you want it to be. It's just that when you watch it, you get the sense that the director is capable of better. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily that this like movie is capable of better. This is what you want it to be. So I think we should just slot this in at number 54, below Abominable Snowman and above I Was a Teenage Frankenstein. Love it. Cool. So going in at the new number 54 is Kaiden Kasane Gafuchi, the ghost story of Kasane Swamp, a.k.a. The Depths, from 1957, directed by Nobuo Nakagawa. If you would like to see this list, you can go to our website, screamscenepodcast.tumblr.com. There you can find links to the many episodes we have mentioned today, as well as our appeals box. If you would like to contest this or any other ranking, you can drop us a line on Tumblr, you can reach out over email at screamscenepodcast at gmail.com, or 
talk to us on Twitter at underscore Scream Scene. Scream Scene updates every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. You can subscribe to the show using our RSS feed. And if you want to help the show out, you can leave us a rating or a review. Share the show on social media or just tell a friend about it. Uh, we love getting new listeners in all the time. And we also love our core audience of returning listeners. Um, always great to see your names on our social posts, on the Patreon posts. Um, we love hearing from you guys. If you have the means, you can head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast and support the show monetarily. Uh, that goes towards paying our hosting fees, helping us kind of take the time out to make these episodes every week, and you can become a patron of the night for as little as a dollar a month. Patrons at the $5 and $10 level get access to regular bonus content, and there's just a whole whack of bonus content waiting for you on our Patreon right now as we come out of October. Um, lots of fun stuff to check out, um, including Sarah and I's discussion of gothic horror versus sci-fi horror, um, which is a lot of fun. So that's patreon.com slash podcast. Okay, Ben, I think we're caught up to where we left off in like the main chronology of the <laughs> show. What are we watching next week? So next week, Sarah, it's our first film of 1958. Ooh. Uh, we're back in America with some real drive-in B-movie shit. It's Giant from the Unknown. Okay. It's about a giant zombie <laughs> from Spanish conquistador times. Oh, a period film? No, it's the modern day. Okay. But he's been... Risen depths, yeah, yeah, from his slumber. Okay, you see. All right, well, we will see next week, creatures of the night. Bye. Bye. Bye.